Hi, I'm Stacy. I love talking about how to know and live out God's callings in our lives, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in comfy armchairs. You can head to my website, stacysummero.com for more on discernment. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y-S-U-M-E-R-E-A-U.com. Hey y'all, how you doing? Have you ever wondered how you get a new name when you become a priest or a monk or a nun? Have you ever wondered why religious habits look the way they do? Or what living in a religious community is like? If you're discerning a religious vocation, but you aren't feeling brave enough just yet to actually jump in with two feet, this episode is for you. If you aren't discerning religious life, but you want to understand better how God might be able to use all your various gifts and talents in your vocation, even if it doesn't seem like he can, you will still gain a lot from this episode, especially the very last question. My coffee date today is with Father Aquinas Beale. Love that name. He's a Dominican, a brand new baby priest who was ordained just last year. He's also a monk, and he talks about how he knew he was called to both of those things. First, I want to throw a little recommendation your way. If you're a single young woman ages 18 through 40, or if you know any, I'm asking you to consider joining the Serving the Aged Lovingly Today mission program. It's hosted by the Carmelite Sisters for the Aged and Infirm, and our missionaries spend a week working alongside the sisters, giving their time to the elderly in the nursing homes. As you know, I am the coordinator for SALT, and I have spent the last four years building up this program. I have seen lives changed and hearts moved, and I want every available young woman to experience that joy that comes from building relationships with the incredible people that we serve. Today's episode is also sponsored by another Carmelite order, the Carmelite Sisters of Baltimore. You'll know that I recommend that every single person discern religious life, right? These sisters have such an awesome description of their order. Seized by the unconditional love of Jesus Christ and allured to the mountaintop, the sisters embrace the mystical flame of contemplation as their life's grounding. Wow, that's amazing. There are so many awesome Carmelite saints, including St. Teresa of Avila and St. Therese of Lisieux, real heavy hitters and some of my favorites. And these sisters live out that tradition in a multi-generational and multinational community, striving to share the love of God with our world, which is so in need. Now, let's get to my chat with Father Aquinas Beal. Father Aquinas, it's so nice to have you over for coffee. Thank you for coming. Oh, it's my pleasure, and thank you for for having me here. Yeah. When I asked you for your coffee order, and you said that you drink black coffee or black espresso, I was wondering if that coffee order came with the vow of poverty, or if that was always (laughs) your coffee order. That was was pretty much always my coffee order. Mm -hmm. So... Um, and I, I think I got that from my dad. My dad always drinks black coffee and very strong black coffee. Okay. Uh, so. I hope your espresso is strong enough. Oh, yes. No, it's great. <laughs> okay, so, uh, yes. And I didn't, I, I myself didn't start drinking coffee until college. But okay. uh, once I started drinking, it was always black coffee for me. Okay. I once did that for Lent and uh, man, that was a penance. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did get used to it though. It is something you're, you can get mm-hmm. used to, but if I don't have it with food, Okay. It like burns my stomach. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. <laughs> coffee. I, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's great to have you. What calls have you received from God in your life so far? And what have those calls looked and felt like? Uh, well, so the obvious, the, the obvious one is to the priesthood and religious mm-hmm. life. But even before that, um, I think I first began like actually actively discerning mm-hmm. the different callings in my life while I was in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, that first looked like, so I was I was a student at the University of Virginia and I just kind of coasted through high school, mm-hmm. coasted into college, 
basically made my choice on you know what was the best school I had gotten into, what was the best deal, mm-hmm. and uh, we were we lived in Virginia, so UVA was um, one of the best state schools, um, one of the best state schools in the nation. So I couldn't really turn it down. Uh, and while I was there, um, it was during my fourth year that, I, I, or I guess it was during my third year, and I was preparing for my fourth year, and I had no idea what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, the, this new program was starting up uh, called a master's in public policy and I was a foreign affairs major and I thought that maybe I wanted you know wanted to do that and I applied and didn't get it and uh, which was kind of a shock for me I, I wasn't a great student but I was a pretty good student and um, had a good resume and I didn't get in and so I was just like okay Lord I have no idea now like what I'm going to be doing mm-hmm. um, and I don't know what I'm going to do afterwards like please just show me like something mm-hmm. and um, a few weeks later I found out about um, this four-year BAMA program that uh, I would have qualified for if I had known about it a semester previous uh, mm-hmm. and had applied in time. Um, and and so I was kind of, you know, upset and like dejected about that of, you know, not being able to do that program. Um, and then at the last minute, my advisor, like, been talking to him about my future and I told him I was interested in graduate school. He was just like, well, there's this program. It might be too late. Why don't you apply? Or mm-hmm. at least, like, get in touch with them. And I got in touch with the director he was just like, oh, it's not too late. As long as you can graduate, you know, by the start of the next academic year, you can, you know, matriculate into the graduate program and do this four-year BAMA. Um, and that's what I did. Uh, my advisor worked with me to graduate over the summer, and um, I was praying yeah. with the Lord. I was like, Lord, if this, if this is what you want me to do, or if this is your will, then just let things fall in place. And everything fell in place, basically. And that was my first experience at like my first attempt at an active discernment, mm. <laughs> so to speak, of praying and asking the Lord to you know for His guidance and also for the humility to accept like whatever came my way, yeah. um, and it was ended up being something that I wanted. And uh, th- that last year of college, where I worked on my masters and my thesis, like everything kind of clicked for the first time as a, as a student at the university, and gotcha. um, it was yeah, it was great. And then. Um, the same thing sort of happened as I was applying for jobs, looking for jobs, um, and I, uh, so I guess that would be sort of the next discernment, the, the next step in discernment. I was okay. um, uh, not quite, you know, completely certain what I wanted um, to be working in, but I just applied for things in foreign affairs because that's what I was getting my master's in, mm. and no one was, you know, I was not getting any bites at all. And so I was just like, okay, Lord, please, you know, just show me, like, what to do. Um, And um, I began at that point, too, to just, like, apply to all kinds of jobs, like, engineering jobs that I was not even qualified for, like, Mm. anywhere near qualified for. I was a foreign affairs major. Um, I took some math and physics in college, but that was just while I was, like, trying to, you know, figure things out. Um, And uh, the engineering jobs all, like most of the engineering jobs answered back and said, we're interested. Like, you're not our typical person, wow. but, you know, you have the math background, you have the politics background. A lot of these were defense contractors. So mm. we have both of these kinds of people that we work with, and it's unique that you kind of bring both to the table, so we're interested. And, mm. um, That's cool. That was kind of, that was another moment where I was just, like, it was very humbling of, I was overqualified, I was not getting anybody to like bite with jobs that I was technically you know that was in, that was for jobs that were in my field of foreign affairs um, and so I just had to like you know reach out branch out and um, apply for these things that I was not comfortable with applying for at all and that ended, ended up being where I ended up getting jobs and 
they were better paying jobs than I would have been doing as a foreign affairs uh, analyst. Pretty so, cool. Yeah. It's really neat how sometimes God has to not give you things that you want or has to make it happen that you are brought to a more of a place of humility where whatever plans you have don't work out um, in order for you to start asking kind of those deeper questions. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. interesting that that happened for you in the last semester or last semester of your senior year or fourth. So it first started in the, in the spring semester of my junior year. Okay. My third year mm -hmm. at UVA. And uh, yeah. And then, um, and then it happened again sort of a year later, but like having that experience of that discernment made things a little bit easier to just be like, okay, I know that I need to pray about, like that I should be praying about this. And so mm -hmm. I'll just pray about it and, uh, you know, ask the Lord, you know, I know that like, I was pretty confident that I had thus far been doing what he was wanting me, you know, yeah. that he had been helping me through. And so it was like, okay, well then I'll just turn to him again and yeah. um, ask him for the help to show me like where to go. Like, am I supposed to just be an assistant, like a private, you know, a personal assistant for somebody for a year or two while I wait to apply to graduate school, which was the plan. Mm -hmm. Um, or does he want me to, you know, or should I look for a job, you know, out in the real world? I had thought it was a job um, from the beginning. And then when I wasn't getting any offers, I was just like, okay, maybe it's something a little more humbling, like mm. being a personal assistant mm -hmm. um, for two years. Uh, and so that's, I started applying for those positions too, but I ended up getting these, the engineering position, which was, um, ended up being more, like more within my wheelhouse too of, um, I had done a lot of statistics and game theory in my master's program. Okay. And so it was, it was like, it was at least in the working world, in the professional world, what I was, what I was interested in academically and was wanting to do. And, um, had religious life crossed your mind at all, or was this at, you know, where you was, kind of, it came out of the blue. It kind of came out of the blue. My fourth year in college, I remember, so my my during that my, that fourth year it was pretty intense academically i had given i you know during my first three years i had done all kinds of activities i was on the club gymnastics team i mm -hmm. um, helped run model un conferences uh, i helped publish a international relations journal wow uh, all kinds of i was part of the catholic student ministry i mm -hmm. was taking organ lessons sang in a choir um and another you know a couple of other music ensembles and so there was i was doing a lot outside mm -hmm. of my studies and my fourth year it was just like okay I need to step you know step away from some of these things to mm -hmm. some extent so I can focus on academics because this I think this is what I have really been wanting yeah. and it was it was great um, and part of during my two summers that I spent in Charlottesville the summer before I matriculated into the graduate program and the summer I was writing my thesis uh, I was attending daily mass on a regular basis. That first summer, I was the um, the organist basically for the mm. summer. The, our music director and organist was touring with his um, graduate choir in Europe for most of the summer. So he was gone, and he wow. asked me. He knew that I was an organ student, and he asked me to cover, okay. which was also a really humbling experience. I'm a I'm a good performer, but I don't read music very well. It wow. takes me a long a lot of practice, and so organ um, is really hard. It's hard and. Uh, and I also had no experience playing for a congregation, so mm. that was really hard getting used to that. And there were lots of mistakes, lots of like 
just times where I could tell the priest was just like probably praying, like offering mass for me <laughs> to make it through. It was, it was bad. That's hilarious. <laughs> at times. So, yeah. Maybe just for your, for your own confidence. Maybe that's what he was offering mass for. <laughs> yeah, Less maybe. so than the ears of the of congregation. It, yeah, yeah. So it was, and, and it was good. It was, it was a good humbling experience, but it also got me. So what I would do, I would go to daily mass and then practice for an hour after daily mass. Mm. And, um, but it was getting me to be there at daily mass and then also practicing, you know, for an hour every day, being in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, I think yeah. actually had um, had its effect. Yeah. And I remember in my second summer when I was just l a little less regularly, but still somewhat regularly um, sub substituting for the, the organist at the church, um, I began, you know, I remember having a thought of like, well, you know, if there was something where I could be a priest and study and you know play the organ on a regular basis like that might you know i might actually like something like that mm. um but i was like but there's no way that that's that there's anything like this at all um and uh and i remember having other thoughts about about like the priesthood and religious life for the first time in my life positive thoughts about that mm. and being intrigued but i it was in the midst of finishing my thesis and looking for a job and i was just like i can't think about this right now i need to um, I need to finish this thesis, I need to find a job, and then maybe I can think about it. Hmm. And so I Isn't it funny how things. we kind of put those, put ourselves in a, a little bit of a box where we're like, oh, I think I'd like that, but there's no way I can do that and be in yeah. religious life. Because I used to say that because I, I was very artistic and I was an actress in New York and everything, and I used to say, oh, I couldn't use my artistic gifts if I were mm -hmm. a nun, so I can't even, I'm not even going to consider it. And you know, yeah. you can't put God in a box. Mm -hmm. he, he does yeah. amazing things. Yeah, and that's, and so like, I mean, well, I had I was having those thoughts, and then when I put things off while I was you know looking for a job, I actually for I mean you know, I think I kind of forgot about them just because mm -hmm. everything it was so intense. And then uh, when I did finally start thinking about it as I was working in my job, um, I you know um, I don't even think that I had had I remembered having that thought about religious life, and I began discerning for at first with um, dio like with a you know the diocese of Arlington where I was living, mm -hmm. and um, and then eventually, because my spiritual director, you know, recognized that I was interested in graduate school, and it was basically a choice between graduate school and uh, seminary, he was just like, "Well, you should, you should, uh, you know, consider, you know, you should really consider the seminary, but before that, you should also consider religious life, especially in academic order, like the Dominicans or the Jesuits." Um, and the Dominicans actually ran the campus ministry at UVA. So mm -hmm. I knew them already, and I knew that I liked the Dominicans that I had known there. So I was just like, well, I'll, you know, I'll look at the Dominicans first. And uh, it was kind of, you know, um, something, one of, you know, some of my, a lot of my experiences were kind of like love at first sight, almost. Mm -hmm. It was, um, it wasn't, I mean, at least what I imagined it would be. Like, I wasn't completely sure. I wasn't necessarily blown away. But I remember um, having lots of moments where I, you know, my first time I showed up in choir um, for a mass. It was on the feast day of St. Thomas Aquinas. Oh, <laughs> so my wow. patron. Uh, and... Uh, I was I was at mass and I remember the first time hearing them sing the psalm they were it was mass and vespers for there was a high there was a special feast and they sang that they had the two together and the first time I heard them singing the psalms of vespers together um, and men's voices in unison um, I was blown away wow. um, by that experience I had been singing in choirs mixed choirs of men and women um, and we had tried chanting but it's uh, 
it's something that chanting is very organic, and if you don't have that experience of you know of regularly chanting, it's it's really hard to sort of make it something make it into something that's organic. And mm -hmm. um, these friars, I mean, as friars, we chant the psalms. Um, uh, in many of our houses, we chant them multiple times a day, every day of our lives. And yeah. so these men had been chanting together for years, and it was that experience of just hearing the, their voices in unison chanting the psalms was um, was something that touched me, and I was I was you know really impressed and uh, somewhat drawn to it. And uh, I remember um, during my vocations weekend that I went on um, a couple of weeks later, I remember at one point sitting in choir. Uh, and they were chanting the psalms, and I remember having a distinct thought of, you know, if I were to if I were to do this for the rest of my life, I think I would be happy. Wow! And that was kind mm -hmm. of the, one of the moments of, you know, re like recognizing that I was in some ways falling in love. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, and it was, and also, you know, going back to you know, what I had said before too, of like, you know, if there's if there was a way that you know I could study and be a student and a professor or something and uh you know you know be a priest and preach and then also you know play organ or you know something sing on a regular basis like you know i would that that would be something i'd be interested in and that was something that i discovered i could have in the dominic with the dominicans yeah. uh so in our bigger houses they're accompanied by the organ and we have been blessed with a lot of organists and so mm -hmm. um i re i realized that there were um the brothers were playing the organ. I had that background. That was something that, you know, music had been something, had been a part of my life. I started playing piano when I was six years old. Mm -hmm. um, and I had sang in children's choirs, stopped singing f until college. Um, so th I had to learn that, relearn how to sing. But yeah. uh, but it was, but music was, was always there. I, you know, played piano, French horn, trumpet in middle school, high school. That's really cool. So, uh, and, you know, having that with the Dominicans and, you know, just the regular, like being able to sing the choral office every day mm -hmm. has been something that's been very meaningful to me. And also singing um, together in unison and having that be something that anchors our days. Yeah. Um, and it's neat that, that that's actually a huge part of your life and you didn't even think it would be. You just thought, That's you right. know, I need, this is a part of who I am and I need this in an order. And then you kind of, once you looked into it, you actually discovered that, oh, this is a huge part of the order. Yeah. It's neat. And you've been able to sing as well on the CDs for the Dominicans, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How many so, CDs are you on of theirs? I am on, uh, let's see, I think I'm on four CDs. So the very first one in Medio Ecclesiae, in the midst of the church. Uh, I'm on that CD on some of the tracks of that CD, and then there's a chant CD, which mm -hmm. is Ave Maria, um, on just uh, Marian chants, and uh, and then we have Gaudiamus, which is a, a CD, an album in celebration of the 800th anniversary of the Dominican Order. Cool. I'm on a lot of uh, songs for that one, and then we have a Christmas CD, which was the last CD that I'm on. Wow, do um, you play organ, or are you in the choir, or both? I'm in the choir. There okay. is an organist, um, but it's not me. So, as I said, as I, you know, um, I don't remember if I said this beforehand or after, uh, or while we were recording, but just my experience of playing, congregational playing, and I am a performer, but uh, I'm not, the most consistent so with the recordings and everything like needing consistency was the mm -hmm. big thing and um as i said too we've been blessed with a lot of organists and right. so uh one of That's my neat. classmates actually who um picked up organ in the you know 
once he entered the Dominicans, but um, he studied music at Notre Dame. Uh, he was mm. a concert, uh, studied uh, piano performance, okay. and he's excellent, uh, you know, a great performer. He says he's not a very good sight reader. He's an excellent sight reader. Um, <laughs> very humble. So yes, Father Peter. Um, he, but it, and we're, you know, we all we all try to like beat each other, and sometimes and like <laughs> it's sort of subconscious of just like you know, you know, you know, trying to say humble things. But I can tell you that I am like the I am the worst sight reader of music of like the organists, which is you know not saying like we have because they we have been blessed some with some very um, yeah. impressive one of my other awesome. um one of my other classmates was a piano performance at university of michigan which has an excellent music program as well it does so yes. uh so we we have and then there's you know older than us there's there are also some excellent performers so yeah. we've we've been very blessed with do you all get together and just like jam ever sometimes yeah. so um we had uh um this pro big provincial gathering uh in 2016 during the 800th anniversary of our order and we mm -hmm. had um it's called a provincial assembly in the summer and we all got together in one of the nights we just it was sort of like a uh not a talent show but do uh, you know what i'm talking about what's the yeah. it's, it's like you just you kind just, of you, informally perform you, kind yeah of. perform things <laughs> or like you know stand up and read poetry or yeah. like you know funny poems that you've written or something like that yeah um, and so there were there was a group of us um you know, um, organized by you know, our you know Captain Fun, uh, the most the most <laughs> musical, most musical friar that like you know not the I mean in some ways like the most musical friar like he's living and breathing music he walks mm. down uh, the street air conducting we'll say and, and he'll be he'll be he'll be very quick to point out that well. Technically, all conducting is air conducting, <laughs> but conducting without a choir or an orchestra in front of yep. him. He's uh, just hearing it in his head. He's just hearing it in his head, and he's just conducting as he goes along. Oh, I want to meet that guy. <laughs> so Father Vincent Fair, uh, he's he's currently um, one of he's currently up teaching at Providence College. Okay. And half in the music program, half in theology. Okay. Um, so, but he got us together and we sang some, uh, just uh, some some Irish reels and yes. some other songs, and it was it was a lot of fun oh, just man. sort of getting together and, and singing. Um, that and then great. there are some other friars that um, are more jazz inclined. I love jazz. I love jazz, but I can't. I just I you know as for a reader as I am, I am tied to the notes on the page. So <laughs> improvising, I just have it's never hard. been able to do that. It, yeah. And so, yeah. Um, but we do have some very talented jazz musicians as well, and they get it's together really and jam, neat. and it's it's great. And then actually, our latest CD is a bluegrass CD, and that's um, so cool. Yeah, and the friar, and they're very you know gifted uh, bluegrass musicians as well, and awesome. so they've done, uh, and they get together a lot and and sing the, uh, you know play and sing bluegrass they're called uh, the hillbilly thomists so after uh <laughs> flannery o'connor um, oh, described it. herself as you know she was asked once like if she were a thomist or i i think it was something like that and she was like well i wouldn't describe myself as a thomist but maybe a hillbilly thomist i love um, it so That's so awesome yeah so you, is that cd out now or it is out okay yes. i want to get that so bad mm -hmm. <laughs> the yes, others I, the other cds are are so beautiful too i've heard snippets of them actually okay. i want to get all the cds but um i've heard uh snippets of them and they're so beautiful but then it's really cool that you have this other aspect of just like having fun together yeah which i think is another thing that most people don't know about religious life is that it's actually incredibly fun to live in a community it's mm -hmm. hard to um it is but mm -hmm. can you tell me a little about the like the community aspect you know is it is do you get frustrated with each other or is mm -hmm. it like 
you feel like all of your needs are fulfilled or what is, yeah, what's it like? Uh, it can, it's both. It's like living in a really big family. <laughs> so there are, there are days where there's lots of challenges, especially mm-hmm. um, in the mornings, a lot of times. I mean, not always, but, but you know, in the mornings um, when you're going to morning prayer and you're not completely woken up and, you know, someone has like a little, you know, tick that you're always doing <laughs> yes. something and you notice it and it can drive you crazy, but yep. it's, you know, an opportunity to just like offer it up and to mm-hmm. grow as well. Yes. Uh, and uh, I remember in Novitiate, it was interesting because we come from all different kinds of backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I come from a, a bigger family. I'm the second of seven. Mm-hmm. And so I was somewhat used to having to like adapt to things like this. Um, but I, and I recognized too that some of my classmates who were only children or came from smaller families, it was it was more of a challenge for them mm-hmm. uh, in some ways. And one of the ways too was like a challenge. It, it was a challenge for them to like notice certain things. And um, mm-hmm. but also, it's I, I do have a personality where I just I notice a lot of things. And they're just like how and you know when I remember once a classmate of mine asked me, was like, how do you notice? all these things like uh, you know how how do you recognize the like notice these things about like individuals how are you so attuned to this and i was just like well <laughs> you know when you grow up in a in a big family mm-hmm. you have to be attuned to uh, you know okay what makes that person tick uh and yes. uh you know sometimes walk on eggshells at certain times yes. around people just because uh in, otherwise it's you're always going to be butting heads or mm-hmm. um yeah. just driving each other crazy and so it's yeah. it's important to it, it takes some people a, a while to learn that and even those that like you know it even took me a while to you know learn a lot of things about myself about like what made me tick um yeah. and um there's a lot of opportunity for growth in religious life yeah <laughs> so and in all uh-huh. life i mean in family life as well i am sure like <sighs> yeah all the sacrifices <sighs> yeah yeah you know and it's funny because i think that a lot i was i'm reading this great book by rachel collins called preparation um and for wait hold on let me look at the title here mm-hmm. it's called Called by God, Discernment and Preparation for Religious Life. It's written for women, and I, I really love it so far. It's great. Mm-hmm. She talks about how a lot of people are turned off from religious life because up front, you seem to be making a bigger sacrifice. You seem to be giving your, um, you know, you have to take these vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. But she said, what a lot of people don't realize is that marriage requires that as well, mm-hmm. just in a more slow way over time, which I have found to be true. Although my husband and I got married, and had a wedding night baby nine months later okay and then another one 364 days later so it's been quite a quick you know process for me but absolutely you have to yeah yeah whatever vocation god calls you to it's going to require learning and growing and stretching and self-gift and sometimes in ways that you don't really want to be stretched or have to give yourself but Mm -hmm. it's like you look back and you're like oh i'm a better person now because of that i needed that right or in ways that you didn't plan as well yes there are so many things like i haven't planned and you know and some things too like i thought god was you know i thought god was calling me to be a political scientist because mm-hmm. i that you know that experience that very powerful experience i had with that and so even in, as a novice i was like okay i need to you know try to keep up with political science because i need to be ready once i am done with everything and you know 10 years, all my formation and studies and to have a couple of years of experience under my belt, I can, you know, perhaps go on for that doctorate that I was planning on going for. Mm -hmm. And I, it's political science's way in the, you know, in the past. I do have that experience and it was, um, it was great and I really appreciated it. Um, But it was, it was kind of for that time um, in a way. 
Yeah, and I remember when I was a teenager or in college or just beyond college thinking, okay, this thing is my whole life. I must want this forever, but you really do change. It's amazing. You do. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things, so we talked about some of the things that you've been able to incorporate into your life, such as being a student and being uh, being an academic and also being a musician as a Dominican. Are there things you've had to let go of um, as a result of being in the religious life and, and the priesthood? Mm-hmm. And is that, you know, how, how did that play into your discernment of whether this was the right order for you? Uh, let's see. Well, so to answer, you know, the, the first half of the question of, you know, did I have to let go of anything? I did find that I had to let go of am- a lot of ambition, um, mm. especially, am- you know, my ambitions for graduate school and mm. wanting to go on and be a political scientist. Like that was, I, for the first time, when I was when I was in graduate school for the first time, I had really clicked as a student. My professors mm-hmm. were really impressed, or at least I thought my professors were really impressed with me. They were encouraging me. You know, you know, the the greatest flattery flattery I ha- ever had from a professor was when he was talking to me about graduate schools for my doctorate. He said, you know, I asked him, okay, well, which schools do you think I should be applying for? And he listed some schools, and I was just like, those are all top ten schools mm. for you know for political science. And he was just like, yes, you should not be looking outside the top ten. Like you, like wow. there are a couple of others. Like here are some others that you mm-hmm. can they can be your fallbacks. And that was that was you know really built up my ego. And I was just mm. like, okay, this is you know I'm I was really really over the moon and happy. Yes. Um, and I did not want to let go of that. Uh, and so. Um, as a novice, as a student brother in my first few years, I remember like, you know, that was, I, that was my goal was to eventually go on, um, and to, you know, go to this great political science program and to, you know, wow the world Mm. with my political science prowess. And, uh, things changed. Um, you know, one, it was sort of a very active obedience when, um, I was, you know, the student master, um, pulled me aside one day and said, um, you know, he said, you know, one of the brothers mentioned to me that you know Arabic, um, which from my, from my political science background, I had studied um, Arabic for a couple of years. Cool. Um, and I said, yes, I do know Arabic. And he was just like, well, you know that the, our order has a center for the study of Islam in Cairo, and we don't have anybody from our province that studies Islam. So mm. I'm asking you to begin studying Islam with, you know, perhaps, and to try to develop an interest in Islam. Uh, And that, you know, at first I was just like, no way. That I, you know, Mm -hmm. I did, I stopped studying it because, I stopped studying Arabic because I I just did not like these, you know, I just didn't like, Mm. um, I I didn't want to get drawn into that that, you know, just the Middle Eastern conflicts and everything. Like, I just, that, that was, that was not a area of foreign affairs that I was interested in. And I was mm. just like, no, my, I, you know, I wanted to do other things. I had mm-hmm. studied migration politics, um, which is, you know, great for, you know, would have been great for now. Uh, yes. But, you know, I, I, I want to study game theory. I want to study statistics, all these other things. I don't want to study Islam. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that was something but you know when i sat and thought about it it was just like well no i entered religious life for a reason and part of it is obedience and having to make those sacrifices and so i said i'm okay i i'm not necessarily going to go you know head it you know full in on this uh, because i just don't know um but i'll you know i'll give it a shot and i'll see where it takes me and for a couple of years i was um actually really drawn to it um Mm. but um ultimately i 
found that I was really strongly being drawn elsewhere and not mm-hmm. um, not to the study of Islam, but ultimately to the study of scripture, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, when I first entered was perhaps the last thing in the world that I wanted to study. Okay, uh, interesting. So, because I, I remember, I remember entering. So I, I come from my father um, was you know it is you know entered the church. He had previously been a Baptist, and mm-hmm. growing up, we as kids would go one week to religious education in the Catholic Church, and the next week to Bible school. Um, so you were at, <clears throat> you were a Catholic. I was Catholic. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so and I I had that background and. Uh, but part of the reason, like, you know, part of my background was sort of in the more evangelical Baptist mold of, of Bible studies, which mm-hmm. um, I really, I didn't know wh- how to, like, make that come into accord with a lot of things, uh, with science and other things. And also, I knew that there was, I, I knew of historical critical, like, modern biblical studies mm-hmm. that I just, you know, thought was a mess and scary and did not mm-hmm. want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. So, I was just like, you know, scripture study is not, that's not something I'm going to be interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found myself being drawn, first of all, to literature. I had mm-hmm. rediscovered my love, or not really rediscovered, but I allowed myself um, to explore my love for Jane Austen um, in literature. Yes. Uh, she, she writes a lot about like virtue theory and how to live the good life, and that's a lot of moral theology and ethics. And uh, mm-hmm. she has her theory of virtue and life and living, right living is um, very Aristotelian and um, Thomistic uh, virtue ethics, which is what we study, a lot of Dominicans study um, based on Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. Thomas Aquinas was an Aristotelian as well. So I learned, mm-hmm. I studied a lot of Aristotle. Um, I was able to bring that, I was able to bring Jane Austen into dialogue with my studies, my moral theology studies. And so I thought that was where I was going to go, was going into um, literature or something like that. But um, the more scripture classes I took, the more I found that I was drawn to like a more literary study of of the Bible, mm-hmm. um, and in even in sort of more modern ways, but also in more traditional ways, and I was able to bring um, a lot of my background to bear on it. And yeah. that's currently, um, I was just telling you, I'm writing my master's thesis or my my license my thesis on uh, on Ruth chapter three um, from the Old Testament, and it's yeah. more of a literary focus, but uh, there's lots of historical and um, intercanonical scripture focus as well, mm. and. Um, and it's yep something. It was uh, again like the last thing that I thought I would have been drawn to. I had all these other plans, um, and God had other plans for me and yeah. has been drawing me elsewhere. Um, what so. a rich life you're able to live. That's really all. This sounds <laughs> so cool. I'm like he's studying Jane Austen uh, as yeah. part of the seminary. That's mm-hmm. so cool. Hi there, I hope you are enjoying the episode so far. I wanted to interrupt you for just a minute to remind you that women ages 18 through 40 are invited to the SALT mission program, serving for a week alongside the Carmelite Sisters for the Aged and Infirm. SALT missionaries are truly the salt of the earth. We design fun activities like giving manicures or having a happy hour that are so meaningful for those whom our society so often forgets. Our missionaries also report that one of their favorite parts is just spending time one-on-one with the residents and hearing their incredible stories. It's really another way to live out our pro-life beliefs by serving with salt. My life has been changed and every one of our missionaries' lives have been changed. If cost is an issue, you're gonna be happy to know that salt is totally free of charge. That's right, zero dollars. You just have to pay your travel and the sisters take care of the rest. I've invested so many hours of my life and my passion into this program and I believe in its ability 100% to help you hear God's voice in your life and to grow in every relationship. 
check out www.carmelitesisters.com slash salt dash program. Also, you should check out the Carmelite Sisters of Baltimore if you're seeking God's purpose. The sisters have a discernment retreat coming up that you won't want to miss. So take action right now and look them up at www.baltimorecarmel.org. Carmel is spelled C-A-R-M-E-L. If you can't make it to the one in February, there are two more this year, so you have no excuses. Whether or not you're called, you have nothing to lose and you have everything to gain by exploring a vocation with the sisters. They have a lot of quality time every day with their spouse, a.k.a. Jesus, with two hours of solitary prayer and meeting together for prayer three times a day. You can read the sisters' testimonies on their website, and I was so moved, and I could tell that every one of these women absolutely loves their lives. One sister wrote in her testimony, I'm going to leave you with the same question my spiritual director asked me. Are you willing to follow Christ wherever he may lead you, or do you set limits on where you will go? We should all take that challenge very personally, and I give it to you today. Plus, these sisters have a neat distinction. They're actually the very first community of women religious in the 13 colonies, founded in 1790. So you know they gotta be doing something right. Okay, without further ado, back to the episode. Before we uh, get too much farther, I, I wanna make sure that I ask you, because this is something that is fascinating to me. I, I have no idea as a woman how you would discern this. The call to religious life and the call to the priesthood, and how do you know mm-hmm. which one you're called to, or both, which is in your case, um, right. mm-hmm. you were called to both. How did you discern that? How did uh, so? Yeah, that's a really good question, and it's an important question too, because yeah. they're they're two different things: mm-hmm. um, the call to the priesthood and the call to religious life. I first began actively discerning a call to the priesthood. I think uh, so. I was working. I was in Washington D.C. Uh, working and I was bored, really bored with my work. Um, in in a way, I mean, I was I was very busy, but I just wasn't, didn't feel fulfilled completely in what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I was. So I basically had said, okay, this is a sign. It's graduate school, like definitely going on for the doctorate. That's what I'm doing. Okay. Uh, um, but in the midst of all of that, I began feeling drawn um, to give more of my time to the church. I was I was already. Um, in a choir, um, so I was giving some time in that, and but I, I felt like I was needing to study more things about the faith and mm-hmm. needing to spend, you know, devote more time to that. Um, and when I you know, told this to a priest, he was just like, well, it seems then that you have a vocation. Um, and he suggested a vocation to the priesthood, uh, or you know that I had, like, you know, we all have vocations, uh, but that I have a vocation, you know, to the priesthood. He, yeah. he suggested. So he told me to get in touch with, um, a, you know, the vocations director for the diocese, which I did, um, who set me up with a spiritual director, and uh, that was what I began discerning first was mm-hmm. um, with the diocese, and it, you know, it actually progressed pretty quickly. I was, I felt really drawn. Um, to the priesthood um, for the first time in my life, I was completely shocked. Um, wow. And um, within, you know, a few months, he was just like, well, it, this seems like this, you know, it's it's pretty clear, like you're called in this direction. Mm. Um, but as I said, I was, I was kind of, when I was trying to discern, you know, where did I, you know, how, you know, where would I, how would I feel if I ended up in different places in 10 years? Like, you know, what would I regret the most? Would I regret mm. going, not going to seminary if I were in graduate school or would I regret, you know, being in graduate school, but not going to seminary? Mm. Um, and, you know, when I would, you know, try, you know, 
I would sort of work that out in my mind, and I always kind of got stuck in between graduate school and seminary. Yeah. Um, and also, there was you know one of my greatest fears of the priestly life, um, and one of the reasons why, like growing up as a child, uh, well, not really as a child, but like in as a preteen and teenager, one of the reasons why I was uh, in ways like I was not drawn to the priesthood, and mm -hmm. in some ways I was positively uh, like adverse to the idea. Like I did not. I was I I you know hated the idea of becoming a priest and mm -hmm. part of the reason was um, a fear of living alone um, and I was mm -hmm. afraid because I, so I had been living alone um, the year that I had been working um, and I could just sort of see myself sort of falling into just like cycles of laziness and not doing you know a lot of things with my free time um, constructively and I was just afraid okay you know how I would be able to handle priestly life on my own yeah um especially because now there's usually one priest in a parish in a parish that's right yeah maybe and, a retired priest but yeah. you live alone often mm -hmm. yeah yeah mm -hmm. and so that was one of my greatest fears that was one of my fears not you know that was just one of my fears with the priesthood mm -hmm. um and so when you know, my spiritual director suggested i think about religious life um it did start to make sense that that made a little more sense to me it was like mm -hmm. okay well yes there's you know um that there is the possibility, the greater possibility of living with others in religious life. Mm -hmm. That's actually one of, um, for most, uh, for a lot of orders of religious, that's that's sort of what it's built upon. Um, and especially with the Dominicans, the common life is is sort of the bedrock for the yeah. um, for their for their various ministries and for their vocations. Yeah. And so um, I just I kind of knew that about myself that I needed the community um, in a big way. And so, um, and I, but I wasn't completely, you know, it took a, a little bit to discern because I was discerning with the Diocese of Arlington, which is mm -hmm. a more um, urban setting and the parishes are bigger and they have, you know, usually the, there were chances, better chances that I'd be living with two, like one or two other priests at least. So mm -hmm. um, I knew that I wasn't going to be completely alone, um, but there were just so many, there was, you know, the the vocation to, to religious life is more than just community, but community is a big yeah. a big part of it definitely so um and then um but yeah so the the community and the common life and just knowing that about yourself so it takes a lot of discernment takes a lot of self-knowledge and yes. um and a part of that too you get in the information especially in the the novitiate year getting used to living with other people and also getting used to the the, the actual particular life style like the way of living of that community mm -hmm. of that order the novitiate so. year is the second year right so you first do you have a postulant year first and then the novitiate uh i didn't have a postulate like, okay. the dominicans don't have a postulant year but okay. other religious groups do have postulant years okay. um it's definitely more um a more common thing for for women religious um yeah. they have mm -hmm. the the year of postulancy before the novitiate year okay um, so you went right to the novitiate that's right i went I, I went right to the novitiate we had two weeks of pre-novitiate so postulancy oh wow um mm -hmm. so we had two weeks to get used to be like of orientation basically of like okay. okay this is this is the divine office this is how things go mm -hmm. um okay you can sing you can't you leave the choir <laughs> you, you know you be a little more quiet like uh and you know and we'll give you voice lessons don't worry like and that was you know and then also like this is you know this is how things work in the kitchen this is how you mm. set things up because you know interesting because things Just don't practical. run on their own like, yeah, yeah a lot of practical things this wow. is how you do do the laundry um for some wow. people it was the first uh, you know it was not it wasn't 
for for a few people it was like the first time of having to do their own laundry but but i mean ha- but there were there were other jobs of like having to do like some of the house linens like the napkins mm. and um and other things yeah. and like so having to do laundry on that scale i'm not sure if the so i my my job in novitiate my first job was as the laundry master and i don't oh. think my, that's a pretty cool title actually to yeah. be the laundry master well the, the, the title is actually um lavator manius um, oh wow the great, the great laundry La- man <laughs> the great washer so i um, love it yeah so i was did you do you have that as part of your signature no no no, no, no. oh dang so, that was so cool yeah so i was i was in charge of the laundry and um uh, it was kind of a reign of terror. I like I had days that I that I had the laundry. Uh, the, I had the machines uh, were reserved for myself because I had to get through so much laundry, and you know I could only do that if the machines were open. So mm. there were signs like "Do not use the laundry from between this time and this time on these days." I am doing laundry. <laughs> so you were so. in charge. Did you? Um did you do the laundry for the whole house or was it it was just it was uh, it was in some ways for the whole house but only particular items so i so i remember one day one brother was just like so how do i get you to wash my habit and i was just like you don't i'm not washing your habit i do not wash your personal laundry and he was like isn't that your job and i said no it's not my job my job is other things like guest guest linens uh uh, the you know we had um, placemats, fabric placemats, and fabric nap- mm. napkins that needed washed. The um, things from the kitchen, um, and um, but there were a lot of sheets um, from like and like the older fryers too. Like I, um, there were a couple of retired fryers, and I would do their their mm. linens and stuff. Okay, um, but it was. It was the the sheets and stuff, and but also the napkins, and it was just a constant thing. And I don't think the novice master knew. I mean, he he knew I was from a bigger family, but I don't know if he knew that like I had that experience of. Mm. Um, I remember. I mean, it was mainly my mom doing the laundry, but we would. That was something I learned pretty early on was how to help her out with the folding and everything. And awesome. I just remember mountains of laundry, oh especially my gosh, when yes. there were like the seven of us were still like you know the oldest was in high school and the youngest was still a baby. Yep. Like we would come home from school um or or something like that and i don't know why we would do this but we'd change into other cl- like like other clothes and so it was just like multiple i don't know why we did this but multiple sets of clothes a day and it just like so it was it was literally mountains of laundry at times and, yeah my uh, mom used to actually try to put a positive spin on it she would call it a folding party uh, we would we always have, have folding a folding party yes yeah, yeah. well mm-hmm. we had folding parties in the student tape uh the like with the, at the house of studies okay but it was it was car it was folding programs <laughs> those were folding parties <gasps> those were folding parties um, but just, you know same but, concept getting yes. something done for the getting greater some, good yes right in novitiate, we, in the novitiate we had garden parties <laughs> which were, were days that we gardened oh and, uh, i see yeah. <laughs> garden parties our, our novice master had a very thick boston irish accent so they were garden parties garden parties yes. nice i love mm. it i wanted to ask you um about your name when do you get your new name and how mm. does that whole process work because i think it's a little different for different orders and i'm just it fascinated is. by that uh so for me so the name we, we received our name when we received the habit which was okay. um St. Dominic's Day, August 8th. For me, it was August 8th, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, so two weeks after I showed up at the novitiate, uh, the, set, the first week was orientation, second week was retreat, and at the end of retreat was August 8th, and mm-hmm. um, uh, we received the name. The process for choosing the name was, um, so we had a couple of conversations with the novice master during the retreat, um, individual conversations about names that we were thinking of suggesting, names that he, you know, we had thought of based upon our, you know, our backgrounds and getting to know us. And I remember 
uh, and I had had been told by lots of friars leading up to the you know to showing up to the to the novitiate to start thinking of a name mm. and. Um, I remember trying to think of names and, you know, nothing really strong was coming to me. Like, I, I thought of keeping my name Christopher Joseph. Um, mm-hmm. uh, good name. Uh, good name. Yeah. Great name. Uh, and um, and I still, we still keep, we still keep our names. So, like, I'm Christopher Aquinas Joseph. Um, on your, like, on your license and your passport and stuff? My license, I'm stuff. Christopher Joseph. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you had the option of keeping your name. And I had the, and I had the option of keeping my okay. name. So, we, so we could, choo- we could suggest up to three names. Mm-hmm. Um and put it put them you know in order of preference and um a lot most of the times the the novice master would choose from that list um there were some guidelines um so they couldn't be a name of someone currently in formation um which is like you Mm -hmm. know so there aren't there aren't many repetitions between every seven years so there can only be but so many dominics so many Mm. thomases there's only two Aquinases. Uh, ah, I was going to say, that's a really unusual one. I've never heard of unusual. that. It's very unusual. It's a town. I love it. Yes. <laughs> so, I uh, kind of, it's not St. Thomas's last name. <laughs> <laughs> it's but a place. It's a place. But it's that's very common now. You hear mm-hmm. people, um, my nephew is named Luca, after right. Luca, Italy. It's very mm-hmm. common now. It's yeah. very common now. There's lots of Guadalupes that I know of. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So, and it's... Um, yeah, I, but it wasn't a name that I suggested for a lot of reasons. Um, mm. But and, and and also, but though, just to go back to like, we also had the option if we wanted to keep, you know, go by our baptismal name. That was our prerogative, and our, we, you know, okay. our novice master couldn't and wouldn't force us to go by a religious name. We could okay. we could say, I want to go by my b- baptismal name, and he said, okay, that's where you're going to go by. Okay, um, gotcha. So, with Aquinas, I remember. I had suggested a few things. One was Thomas More, and mm. the um, I remember the novice master was like, "Oh, that's a great name. Too bad there's already a Thomas More in formation. You can't do Thomas More." Mm. Uh, and um, I had thought of Thomas, but there was already a Thomas in the, nov- mm. the novice class ahead of me, so I knew you know no Thomas. Uh, and so there were some others that I was that I had thought of. Um, one was Jose Maria Escrivá, um, mm. but I wasn't quite, you know, great um, saint. Great saint, but um, you know, not, not, you know, not completely something that I was like completely drawn to. So I was kind of mm. on the fence with that. But uh, the novice master suggested Aquinas. Um, it was not something we have. We've had several, Aquinas, you know, a few Aquinases in the past of our province. Mm. Um, but and we didn't currently have any information. Uh, but I remember you know, not wanting it or being very skeptical. I was just like, it's a big name. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, you know, and I don't know if I want to study theology. Like, I know I don't want to study theology. I'm studying political science. <laughs> so, like, I'm the, not going to be another Aquinas. Um, <laughs> I'm not just another Aquinas. Yeah. Well, and also, like, there's no way to, like, I, I, you know, I, I didn't have a complete appreciation. I mean, I had a pretty, I think I did actually have a pretty clear appreciation of, like, the, just the mountain, the giant of who, you know, how, yeah. like, big St. Thomas is mm-hmm. um, in the, uh, the order of our history, but also in the order of, um, theology of the Roman Catholic Church yes. and its, in its development over the years. But, uh, yeah, the the novice master was like, well, that's a good sign um, because, you know, you shouldn't have the name because you you think that you're going to be, you know, the next Aquinas or something like that. Huh. Um, uh, but he said, he said, you know, one of the reasons why I thought it would be a good name for you was uh, because... Um, in talking about describing my vocation, um, and at various points, I had said how you know how important my years um, in the uh, at Saint Tom- at 
um, UVA were, and the parish there was St. Thomas Aquinas. Okay. And so mm-hmm. he was just like, you know, this is this name is, you know, would be as much an homage um, uh, to the parish, St. Thomas, as as to the saint as well. Mm-hmm. Or at least, like, you know, he, he that was his idea. And I was like, you know, that is actually, yeah. you know, uh, that is something that is, is really nice. And also, I mean, St. Thomas had played a big role in my discernment as well um Mm -hmm. and thinking about theology and the priesthood um so like i had studied a little bit of saint thomas um with some friends in college Mm. before uh during my last year um in college and uh, i remember like realized like for the first time theology had presented to me had been presented to me like in a way that was academically rigorous and Mm. um and consistent in a way that I didn't think was possible with theology. Like for me, everything mm. was like completely fideistic. Like, you know, a lot of times like we're just not going to understand everything, and you just we just accept that and just believe, it, which is not <laughs> the best position to have. Yeah, uh, that's interesting as an academic that you kind of took, you know, that mm-hmm. that, that was your view of theology, and in I'm some sure ways, that's changed. It's changed a lot. Yeah, because <laughs> you've kept changed. studying. Yeah. Yes. So, mm-hmm. uh, yes. That's and that was one of the things that drew me to the Dominicans was their emphasis on, uh, on the rationality and uh, reasonable like reasonableness, reasonability. Uh, when, mm. You know, just uh, the 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 ability to make sense of theology. Yes. And um, and the you know the the point of studying and praying and contemplating is so that you can see these connections, but also share these connections mm. with others. Uh, you had you know mentioned. Um, you know, wanting to know the charism of yes, the order, yeah. and uh, you know, one of the one of the little phrases that we you know throw around is um, contemplare et, tra- um, et tradere alis contemplata um, to contemplate and to share with others uh, th- the things contemplated, the fruits of mm. our contemplation. So basically, studying and preaching, and uh, so studying. Um, theology studying lots of other things we do have political scientists we have scientists mm. um you know studying physics and mathematics like they mm. but uh, but also um everyone is trained in theology as well and so studying mm. these things and um coming to a greater appreciation and uh you know deeper conclusions about the faith and about mm. life and uh, society and the world that we live in um, mm-hmm. and sharing that with others through teaching preaching um, all kinds of other things and I had been drawn to you know the the vocation of being a, a teacher uh, I had you know thought I wanted to go on for the doctorate not just to study things but also to teach um, mm-hmm. yeah and so that's that was- such a needed charism in our world because there's now this idea that science and faith are not compatible and it sounds like the dominicans are really unafraid to to go into all of those areas and Mm -hmm. and explore and sort of um find the wholeness among all of them right which is really pretty Mm -hmm. neat yeah and you need to ask you know ask those difficult questions and but also you know accepting in humility that we're you know our intellects are finite things Mm -hmm. we can only but understand so much of the mystery and needing to you know, take a step back and say, excuse me, uh, beyond this, like, you know, I just, I, you know, this is about as far as I can go and I'm, you know, not quite clear on other things. So I'm, you know, I'll speculate, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, it's speculation. I don't know. God is mysterious in yeah. some ways, but he's also, I mean, he's, you know, infinite, you know, beauty ever ancient, ever new infinite beauty like yes. it's there's something there's something very beautiful about the way that he's made the world and it's so intricate and then all these 
intricacies like fit together um, within his plan. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to talk about your habit. I okay. switched topics entirely here. Okay. Yeah. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about the habit. Yes. It's wool, but I would never guess. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's a wool blend. Beautiful mm -hmm. white. <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little off white, but yeah. Little, little, yeah, slightly yeah. kind of a cream, like mm -hmm. a French vanilla. <laughs> yeah, it actually it matches the chair. Yeah. A lot of times, a lot of times I do it like I get like when we take pictures, family pictures, if it's a white background, I just kind of just follow it up in the background. <laughs> <laughs> You're a floating head. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the the Dominican habits are so beautiful. Could you just tell me about a little bit about the different parts of the habit and sure. what it's like mm -hmm. to wear a habit day in and day out? Because I honestly, when I was discerning religious life, I was like, I think I would be really, really hot in a habit in the summer. Mm -hmm. And some people were like, oh, you get special graces and whatever. <laughs> and I was like, really? So mm -hmm. demystify that for me. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so our habit, it has um, three well, I guess four main pieces, maybe five, yeah. Um, but you have, so the tunic, uh, which mm -hmm. is just, um, that's like the most roby part of the habit. <laughs> um, it's just, it's a tunic um, that, mm. you know, covers um, your whole body um, from ankle to wrist, <laughs> basically. Mm -hmm. And um, that goes on first. And then over top of the tunic, um, you have, or like, and then you keep the tunic in place with a belt and our rosary goes on our belt. So that's, those are the first like two you, pieces. Do you have the long rosary? I have the, yeah, 15 decade rosary. Yes. And it goes all the way. It, it, does, goes, it makes like a little jangle when you walk probably. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Nice. Good uh, reminder there yes. of, yeah, presence mm -hmm. of God always. Yes, exactly. Um, and then over top of the tunic and belt goes um, our scapular, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which is sort of part of um, like an, an homage to our, Mar our Marian, um, uh, patronage. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have the scapular. And that's then the front to back. That's the front sort to of back. Yeah, and it's thin a thin piece of cloth. Thin piece of cloth. Yeah. So it, yeah, it goes. It covers most of. It's yeah, a thin piece of cloth that goes. You know, um, down the front to mid. You know, mid shin or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then goes over. There's a hole in the middle. Stick it on our head, and it keeps going down our back to about the same the same place. Okay. Um, and then over top of that is the capoose, uh, which is. Uh, this circular piece of garment that also mm -hmm. has a hood on it and that's just what goes on top the capoose uh, the, the speculation is that the capoose symbolizes our charism of preaching mm -hmm. so when the order was founded in 1216 um, a lot of you know most preaching was done by bishops mm -hmm. your normal parish priest didn't have a lot of theological uh, training mm -hmm. and so uh, um, in, or in order to avoid um, heresy and other and other things um, you're like when you would go to the celebration of the Eucharist, when you would go to Mass, there wouldn't be preaching of a homily. You would just have mm -hmm. the Word of God read, and then you would go straight into um, what we have today now, the, as the, what we know today as the liturgy of the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. um, and you would only ever like um, have experience preaching either from a bishop or from someone that was uh, specifically um, appointed by a bishop to preach um, wow. in certain in certain circumstances. And the Dominicans were founded. Um, our, one of our names is the Order of Preachers. Um, after our names, we sign OP, Ordo Predicatorum, Order of Preachers. It works out in English. Um, so, nice. uh, <laughs> yes. So, and the um, the capoose, this this garment, um, is an indication of that sort of preaching office um, because uh, because of the studies we were you know, the bishops entrusted us with an office of, of mm -hmm. preaching more generally, and um, bishops wear have like a capoose type. I forget what it's called for the bishops. It might be a mm -hmm. capoose. I forget what it's called. Okay. But it's it's um, it's sort of like an Episcopal type garment um, mm -hmm. that that is meant to signify. Um, that preaching office with a nifty hood, thrown with a nifty in. hood thrown in, so in case it rains. 
in case it rains, it's mainly the hood. Um, a lot is is uh, was it like a more liturgical? They would put the hood on and off at certain parts in the mass. But um, oh, okay. it's useful today too. Now, um, for those of us that are balding, I'm not, <laughs> I have a lot of hair. You're uh, not even close. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even close. But for those that are balding, they like to put the hood up during um, morning meditation, especially in the winter. It keeps their heads warm. Okay, um, I was like, is it like a vanity thing? No, no, it's, no, 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 it's, no, it's purely not. for warmth. Yeah, and okay. I um, and That's sometimes cool. I wear the hood when I'm uh, sometimes when I'm praying, like praying silently, or when I'm studying, and I just want to like get rid of some distractions. You can put the mm. hood up. And and it's like blinders. You just focus nice. straight ahead. Nice. Uh, and so it's it has its use. Um, its uses. I and might get a hood and put it on like when my children are displeasing me and they'll, okay. they'll, 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 like, they'll when the hood yep. goes on. <laughs> yeah. It, they'll, they'll know that their their fate is yeah, their fate is sealed. Is very solemn. <laughs> so yes. yes. Uh, yeah. It's yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I love the word capoose as well. Reminds me mm -hmm. of caboose. caboose How do yes. you spell that? Capoose. It's uh, C A P U C E. I think. Capoose. I'm pretty okay. sure. That's, yeah, that's how it's spelled. I would never have so. known that that's how you pronounce it from the spelling. So I'm glad yeah. you. So it's like yeah. Yeah. Capoose. Are um, you? Is it the cap? Take two. Is the habit comfortable or are you? Too hot, too cold. Uh, it's it's more or less comfortable. Uh, so I can only wear wool habit wool and yeah, I can only wear wool. Uh, <laughs> I can only wear that in the in the in the, in the winter because um, I do have issues of overheating um, mm. and it takes me a long time to especially like so I like um, I do we do exercise a lot of us from time to time and after awesome. I exercise it takes me a while to cool down and do you exercise in the habit no okay no, no, no. okay um, as uh, uh, some sisters congregations do yeah take their exercise in the habit we uh, will just change into workout clothes and exercise mm -hmm. um, cool. uh, but it takes me a while to cool down and in the summer I would just even with a cotton habit um, which is what I um, wear most of the time in the summer and even mm. in the winter I would it would take me a long time to cool down mm -hmm. so and but your body does get used to the habit um, in many ways and gotcha. uh, the, your body temperature adjusts I think mm -hmm. uh, for, for others um, that do have like it is a bigger bigger adjustment for you know um, body temperature and things like they do say that it does adjust yeah. but yeah. yeah I'm sure it's one of those very small aspects of religious life but I know a lot of people either are like oh, I, I don't want to wear a hat it's like really important to people who are on the outside but then I'm sure once you're mm -hmm. like wearing the habit every day you're like oh this is just you know this is just my yeah. life and I deal with it mm -hmm. or whatever but yeah. yeah and a great a great thing too about or, or you know a great thing to remember too about the habit a lot of people think of it as an assigned to others of mm -hmm. the of the vocation and of the dedication to God um, but a, a very wise friar um, once once you know, told us as a group that it's that actually primarily it's a reminder to us as in, like ourselves. Um, so mm. it's a reminder to me. My wearing my habit is a reminder to me of my uh, my religious vocation, of yeah. my consecration to God. Um, I you know I wear the habit not you know for what others think or you know to you know to present myself to others, but first of all to remind me of my of my consecration, my yeah. religious consecration. And I'm sure you act differently and like it's probably yeah. hard like if you catch yourself getting angry at somebody on the road it probably like helps you <laughs> at it least it would for yes. me in helps you calm ways, down a little bit more yes it does in some ways or yeah. like um it does make me think about my actions more yes. uh, and so, a lot of times especially when i am out in public um mm. or um on the metro going from our house to uh wherever i'm celebrating mass that day so my final question for you is is there anything that you would like young men or women who are 
not sure what they're meant to do with their lives. Is there anything you, as a Dominican, as a priest, would want mm-hmm. them to know that maybe you wish someone had said to you as a teenager, young adult, mm-hmm. before you were discerning? Uh, so, actually, one thing that was said to me uh, <clears throat> by a Dominican, one of the first weeks I was at in, at UVA in college, uh, um, since it was my confession, I can say it. Like, I was in confession, and I confessed to my confessor um, uh, that I hated the idea. Like, I, I was violently against a vocation to the priesthood or religious life, and I felt guilty about that mm. uh, because I knew that there was a need, um, but I was just, I was, it was something that was eating away at me. And so yeah. I confessed it in confession, and the confessor said, you know, first said, like, first of all, that's not a sin um, necessarily, and most, like in my case, no. Mm. Um, and he was just like, and also to help you, like, you know, to think about it is to remember that God only desires for you to be happy even in this life. Um, he desires your happiness. Um, lots of things happen to us in this life that can cause us not to be happy, but he was like, if you are called to the priesthood or religious life, um, it's not to be unhappy. And that was something that when I was in high school, um, in middle school, that I thought was an integral part of mm. of priestly life was, was, being was, was, was voluntary unhappiness essentially that's so um, funny because you don't get to be in love and you don't get to right you have to you give know. up so many things yeah. and also mm-hmm. i mean just my idea of what sacrifice was was yeah. was voluntarily taking on unhappiness and mm-hmm. it was learning um learning first of all that god did not desire my unhappiness um and so i was just like you know that helped me a lot to at least get you know to um be okay with not necessarily wanting to be a priest. And so yeah. like for, for my four years at UVA, I was perfectly fine with just being like, um, I was actually kind of certain that I wasn't called to the priesthood or religious life because mm-hmm. I had those violent feelings um, about it as a high schooler. Um, and I was just like, okay, well then God does definitely does not want me for, to do this. And I mm-hmm. was able to feel better about it. Um, but one of the things that made me realize um, that I f- might be drawn to this was, um, was that it was possible like appreciating that it was possible to be happy in a life like this. Um, And so um, recognizing that, that I, you know, could possibly be happy in a life like that um, made me more open to it and made me willing to discern. And that's really when I began discerning. Um, And that's something that I think is important to remember that it is that we are called to be happy um, and not to be afraid of that, of that calling. Um, And um, to always remember that, like to remember to like think about, okay, what are you being drawn to in a positive way? Like, what do you think would make you, like, are you able to see yourself being happy positively in this life? And a lot of times you don't know that until you actually visit. Visit, that's right. Because it's so easy for us to say, oh, I couldn't be happy. I don't need to visit Mm -hmm. and get off scot-free and, you know, there you go. I had no idea that I would have, you know, like I, I thought that I, you know, that I, I could do it or something like that. Like before yeah. I visited, and it was really like visiting, um, that I, you know, I had those moments of like, you know, recognition that yeah. I could really be happy and um, really enjoy my life, in you know, dedicating in dedicating my life to God in that way. And, yeah. Um, that it's, uh, I think it's is it, um, blessed Reginald, of. I can't think of where Reginald, uh, Blessed Reginald is from. Uh, somewhere in France, Orléans, maybe. I, um, mm. But anyway, Blessed Reginald of the D- Dominican Order once um, uh, was asked at the end of his life, or said at the end of his life that, you know, he he thought that, you know, that this life was actually, that the religious life wasn't going to be um, 
something that was a you know a plus for him um hmm. that because he enjoyed his life so much um it, that it wasn't a sacrifice wow uh and so uh and so he was he was concerned that like he had missed an opportunity for sacrifice or something like that mm. but um or at least that's like you know how in some ways it's like been exaggerated as that but i think that's like at the heart of of what you know the vocation to the priesthood or religious life is that it, and in a lot of ways that it is a sacrifice because you are foregoing a lot of things um but also there should be an aspect of it not not being a sacrifice it yeah. shouldn't be something that that you're having um to complete to to and you know having to do like this for some people i think there is like a you know a heroic complete denial of self but but really you know a vocation it's not it's not like it's not a life of constant mortification yeah um but there's there is a positive draw and i you know I, that's something i would want young people to realize that that it is something that we can you know that you are called to be happy in and mm -hmm. um if you don't find yourself if you don't think you're, that you're going to be happy then don't pursue that um pursue you know what you know you feel the lord is calling you to and he's calling you ultimately to your happiness so you need to remember that and um mm -hmm. and you know the way that you discern that is by actively getting in touch with different vocations directors whether it's at your in your diocese or at a monastery um or you know um you know at the mother house or the headquarters of of a religious organization like the Dominicans or mm. um, Franciscans, Jesuits. And um, I want to have somebody from every order on the show so that they mm -hmm. can have an opportunity to talk about their charism. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're that welcome. was all so good. I'm super excited for this episode. Take care. Thank you thank so you. much. Right. And there you have it. Another episode down. Now, if you're looking for something charitable to do for someone this week, why not go to iTunes and write a five-star review for Called and Caffeinated? That would be amazing. You can find everything that we talked about in the episode in the show notes over at my website, stacysummerow.com, where you can also drop me a line if you have a question or any feedback for me. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. I'll be praying for you every day, and I can't wait for you to join me again for coffee.